Welcome back to One Murder at a Time. Yeah. Episode glad. two. Season two. Season two. Yeah. This is going to be a fun one. But it hasn't been as long as we, well, we wanted it to be uh, every other week. And we had planned on it to be every other week. But um, somebody's family keeps having the stomach bug and yeah. passing it back and forth. So hopefully we're done with that. Fingers crossed. I didn't want to be around that. So no yeah, offense. I don't blame you. I didn't want to be around it either. But. <laughs> But no, speaking of my kid, so all semester I've been telling him that if he does well in school, that I would take him to see Sonic 2 when it came out. Well, mm-hmm. it's coming out today, and um, I, as you can see, I'm not with him. <laughs> I was not invited. He went with his friends and his friend's dads and his dad. And I was left out. I was crudely left out after I had been the one that said this all semester. So they just had a guy's night. Yeah. Moms were not invited. Right. You know, this is the first of many. I know. I mean, he's going to drop you like a bad it's, habit. It's already happening. Mm-hmm. Starting. Always. But yeah, it's kind They'll of... always leave you for their friends. And see, I mean, it's not like I really wanted to see Sonic 2 per se, but I had started watching the trailers and stuff. And the first one was actually... A lot cuter than I thought it would be. You've been talking about it for weeks. I have. I was like, it's it's probably going to be pretty cute. Because you kept saying, hey, Cash, when does Sonic 2 come out? Well, it was a motivator for him to keep doing really well in school, but I don't even get to go, so we're not going to talk about it anymore. (laughs) That's a sore subject. (laughs) Yeah. So speaking of subjects, so this this (laughs) segue. What kind of segue was that? (laughs) Speaking of anything random. Yeah, speaking of a subject. Oh, what subject is that? (laughs) (laughs) Anyhow, so this case that we're doing today was inspired by a TV show, like the the murderer was. Mm -hmm. And so you and I have both been watching some docudramas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the thing about Pam is about Pam Hupp, if you all don't know. It is so intriguing. Like, I heard morbid that's who I listen to a lot. They have a really good podcast. You should check them out. But, um, which everybody's checking them out, so whatever. But, uh, no, they did it, um, one on Pamela Hupp a while back, and it was really good. And so Renee Zellweger is playing as her. And, oh, my God. Yeah, she's doing a really good job. Like, it's been really entertaining. Mm-hmm. Like, I keep um, getting on Twitter when it comes on because I'm trying to get um, Jason Blum to like one of my tweets. It hasn't happened yet. But, um... <laughs> I, keep I pitched to the, his company one time. I know, yeah. I know. I was like, well, I want to try to get a like on Twitter or something. So he all, he usually texts, um, texts, tweets when it uh, comes on. Yeah. So it has been um, entertaining, though. Mm-hmm. A lot more entertaining than I thought it would be, actually. has a really good cast. Mm-hmm. He said she's very good. And if you go and watch her play the part and then you watch any of the live footage from, like, the trials and everything... Because it's a crazy story. If you don't know it, we may cover it, but at some, uh, point. at some point. But it's so intriguing. And but if you watch her and then go watch the live trial, it's it's uncanny. Like she is her hands down, and you wouldn't think she was really like that. But You'd, she was. You would think she's exaggerating it for right. you know TV, but no. Because it, at times she almost, on. she almost seems cartoonish. Well, that like, you're does. so over the top that, like, how does anyone take you seriously? Mm-hmm. But that town, I guess, you know, it was a small town, and everybody knew everybody, and it's mm-hmm. kind of, I don't know, it's crazy. It is crazy. It's a very interesting story that 
funny enough though like josh dumel's in it mm-hmm. who I, I really like him his hair is crazy it's it? awful i was but the, it looks like the the guy the guys yeah well the i mean attorney. i don't what year was that i can't remember 16 oh so it's not been that long ago it may have been older than that i can't remember anyhow i was thinking that exact thing though of how hair really changes how a person looks it really does because you know he's a really good looking but like with that hair it's like he looks like about anybody you would yeah, see on the you'd, street somebody you'd run into i mean not really our town but maybe, <laughs> <laughs> maybe another, on the outskirts of a bigger city No, he's he's still a good looking guy, but it just it like his hair make you know yeah. it does change your look, but, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's it's been interesting. And then we both started watching um, the girl from Plainville, mm-hmm. which is about um, Michelle Carter, the girl who um, encouraged her boyfriend Conrad Roy to commit suicide. And I'm, I haven't I've only watched two episodes of it, so I'm still kind of getting in. But it's been pretty good. It has a good cast too. Mm-hmm. Elle Fanning plays her. She uh, she's very good. And Chloe Savigny or how I don't you know say how to it. say her name, but yeah, she's she's a good actress. She's been around for a long time. Yeah, a long time. Yeah. But it brings up a question because I was thinking about this actually on the way over here. Do you believe she should have been found guilty of anything because? The same people that would say, well, music, songs, movies don't make people do stuff. Those are just words. Mm-hmm. She wasn't physically there with him. Mm-hmm. It was just her words. Now, I think what makes that case different is she could have helped him. Like, when it became obvious, because he had said it before, he was going to do it before and never yeah. did. So she may have, at the beginning thought, he's not really going to do this. Mm-hmm. But when it became obvious that he was, she could have gotten help. She could have texted his mom. She could have called the police. She could, I mean, she could have helped him. Mm-hmm. So even though I think what she did is morally despicable, mm-hmm. is it criminally wrong? You know, I don't know. I, I guess, you know. I don't know. And it's, it's and a slippery it's not like slope that, a little bit. It is. It, but it's not like that would have been an extreme measure. Mm-hmm. All she would have had to do is call the police and say, my friend is threatening to hurt himself. Mm-hmm. That's all she would have had to do. Yeah. And instead, she's saying, get back in the truck. You know? Yeah. You said you were going to do it. Yeah. Do it. Yeah. So I don't know. I, like, I have mixed feelings about it. But, I mean, obviously, as a human being, that is, like, awful. And, like, yeah. I think it's, you know... You know, criminal morally, it's a crime. Well, I don't know what laws are in each state because I think each state has a little bit of different laws, like regarding a good Samaritan, it. yeah, and stuff like that. But um, criminally, I don't know. But a civil suit, definitely. But I, I don't know. It's like you said, it's a slippery slope. Because if you go back in her texts and stuff, she had actually told him he needed to get help and everything. So I mean, she had issues too. So yeah. it wasn't like this was like a normal, like me or you sitting here. She had some issues too. Yeah. So I don't know, but it's in. It's been good. I've enjoyed it. Yeah. Y'all should tell us your thoughts on that. Yeah. What do you think about that? Is it criminal or just plain despicable? Yeah. Or both. Or both. Well, we know it's despicable, but <laughs> yeah. you know. But also too, if you have any show ideas that you'd like to 
send us. Mm -hmm. We're stories? always looking for like stories that we may not be aware of that don't get as much exposure. Mm -hmm. um, those are ones that we actually really like to do because we like to bring light to ones that you may not have heard of. So, Yeah, so let us know about that. All right, well, I guess we'll go ahead and get into this one. All right. So this is the murder of Johnny Altinger. Johnny was born in April of 1970 in Royal Alexandra Hospital in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Gary, Johnny's older brother by seven years, had told his parents that he wanted a baby Johnny, so that's what they named him. I thought that was, I thought that was cute. But uh, Gary would later say that his brother, from a very young age, was obsessed with all things technology. And as somebody who's married to somebody who's <laughs> obsessed with all things technology, they're a special kind of people. I mean, they really are. But uh, I found that interesting about him. But um, so if something new came out, he wanted to be the first one to get it. He got his first computer when he was 12 years old. It was a Commodore 64 in 1982. Well, I mean, and we're talking 1982. We're not talking, you know, 2005, right. 2010. I mean, people at that time, a lot, most people did not have computers. No. We got, I made a note of this, we got our first computer in 1996, because you bought it. Yeah. Yeah, and so we were way behind the times. I mean, we did not have a Commodore 64. I don't know, though. I think that at still, even when I bought that one, not everybody had a computer in the mm -hmm. home. No. Like, you used them, mm -hmm. but not everybody had them in your in their houses. Well, there, we didn't really, we didn't have internet then when we first got it, did we? I don't think so. No, I don't think we did. Or maybe it wasn't long after that we had dial-up. Yeah. But. Because I remember using the internet for the first time at the library, and it terrified me. <laughs> like, they were like, this is how you do it. And I'm like, what does it mean? I'm going to break something. <laughs> gonna, and I would go to, like, Web Crawler, yeah. Netscape Navigator. You remember those? But but so he was he was up on all the technology stuff, all the new stuff that came out. He was very computer savvy. And actually, Gary, like I said, he was seven years older, and he was in college, and he would often help him with his term papers and all that stuff while he was attending college. Um, they said he would, all of his friends described him as a caring person who would help anyone out. So by the late 80s, Johnny had a network of friends in Vancouver that were all connected by their computers. And like right now, that doesn't sound very impressive because everybody's connected, but this was the late 80s. Right. And so they had this super advanced technology that they were using in Vancouver to be able to connect. It was localized. I mean, it wasn't, you know, obviously spread out, but it was in the Vancouver area. And it wasn't long until this network expanded to people all across Vancouver. They were chatting, playing games. Uh, like I said, they became a real community of friends. Well, I mean, you think about that, like 1988, like, that would be when I was probably playing, like, Nintendo. Yeah. Like, I didn't ever think about playing Super Mario with someone. Against somebody else down the road. Yeah. yeah. It was like, you you know, we're in the house. And so, I mean, that is. It's for very the time, advanced. it was really advanced. Yeah. So, I mean, he was super smart with all this stuff. And he actually sometimes went by the name, and I'm going to say this and see if my husband, or see if Paul knows, Ultra Mangus. Do you know what that's from? That was like his name that he would go by during his games and stuff like that. If you don't know, I'm going to be disappointed in you. It's from Transformers. Well, apparently that wasn't If it's not Optimus Prime, we don't know it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Paul was a collector of all that stuff back in the 80s. But, yeah. So in 2008, 
Johnny had a small apartment in Edmonton and made a living doing quality control at a place called Argus Machine. He was 38 and was described by his friends as a giver with a warm smile and gentle eyes. And I looked at pictures of him, and he just looks like a nice guy. A nice guy, just a genuinely nice guy. He enjoyed playing paintball, and he was crazy about motorcycles. He had a Honda 500cc and a Yamaha 1200cc, and all of his friends said those were his babies. He took, like, super good care of them, kept them clean, kept them covered up. And uh, that was actually one of the first things that tipped off his friends that something was wrong. So on October 10th, 2008, Johnny seemed to disappear. Like his friends couldn't get a hold of him. He just seemed to fall off the face of the earth. Uh, The night he disappeared, he was supposed to meet a woman at a garage that she asked him to come to, which... is kind of sketch. It's very sketch. And we're not in the 80s anymore. We're in 2008. So, I mean... Online dating and stuff was still in its infancy, I guess, then, with Facebook and stuff like that just now starting, but you had, like, dating apps and stuff like that. But he called one of his friends, Dale Smith, and said the woman wasn't there, but there was a guy there who was a movie maker, and he had props and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. The friend told him, he said, this is super weird. I think you should get out of there and just call me when you get home. Right. Well, less than an hour later, he received a message from Johnny saying the woman was home now and he was going to go to her house to meet her. And that was the last anybody heard from him. That was until his friend started receiving these messages that said he was taking off with this woman and her name was Jen. Mm-hmm. That's the name. That's the only name that they gave. That he was going with Jen to Costa Rica for an extended vacation. Mm-hmm. And his friend, uh, Dale Smith, would later testify that he knew the emails were coming from were not coming from Johnny because the language and the way they were written. So apparently he would, like, always end his emails or any correspondence with his friends with something witty or just something something between the friends that, you yeah, know. Yeah, the inside jokes, yeah, things like that. Yeah, so he knew that it was not from him because it was very kind of straightforward and just didn't seem like him at all. Right. So um, when Smith, along with some of the other friends, he had other friends, like I said, in this group, because he had maintained these friends from like the 80s all the way up. But um, they uh, had all received the same email from him saying that, you know, he was going off with Jen and all this kind of stuff. And they had tried to contact him and they couldn't hear back from him or anything like that. So they actually contacted the police. But the police said, hey, the guy just went on vacation. I mean, he's a grown man at this point, 38 years old. He went on vacation. They didn't really think there was any kind of evidence to start an investigation because there was nothing that showed that any crime had been committed. So, and this is your friends right here. I mean, this is real friends right here. So the police wouldn't do anything because, like I said, grown man, he can take a vacation if he wants to. They go and they actually break in his house because they knew something was wrong with him. Because they're like... This is not him. The, he's not going to just leave and yeah. go to Costa Rica. He's not He's not the kind of guy that you right. know, is going to do that. Like I said, he had been on dating sites and was trying to meet women. And, you know, he was older now and he was kind of wanting to settle down and stuff like that. But so, I mean, he wasn't the kind of guy that was just going to take off and leave all of his friends behind and not tell them where he was going. Right. And when they got there to his house, actually, well, his apartment, his motorcycles were there and they were uncovered. Yeah. And he would not leave those motorcycles uncovered for, like, long periods of time or anything like that. Right. So they broke into his apartment, and they found his passport, his suitcase, shaving kit, 
everything you would need for an extended vacation, especially right. if you're going out of the country. You're going to need your passport. There had also been an email sent to Johnny's employer resigning from his job, and when they asked where they should send his last paycheck to, there was no response back, which a lot of red flags are yeah. popping up, you know? You're not just going to up and quit your job and then not even care if you get your last paycheck. Well, I mean, if you're out on vacation in Costa Rica, you're going to need your money. Right. And so that threw up some really big flags. So the police, they go back with this information to the police and they get involved. So the way the police started out the search, they began to look for his car, which was a uh, red hatchback. Mm -hmm. And they searched parking lots uh, of the airports, bus stations, stuff like that. If he did go on a vacation, his car would be there. And they didn't find anything. And they also checked, like, several park and ride areas because he had been known to do that before. But they couldn't find his car. And Dale had given the police the information that... Johnny had given them about the garage mm -hmm. where he had gone to meet Jen right. the night, you know, it was the last night that they, they had heard anything from him. So the police go to this garage and they find it locked with a padlock. They found out from the neighbors that the garage was part of a rental property and wasn't actually owned by anybody there. It was like we said, it was being rented out. And they were able to track down the person as it, the person it was being rented to and his name was Mark Twitchell. So this brings us to Mark Twitchell. Uh, Mark was born on July 4th of 1979. He was born in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Um, he had always wanted to be a filmmaker since he was young. He graduated from the North Alberta Institute of Technology. He was in the radio and television arts program there. He got married in 2001, and he was married from 2001 to 2004 to an American woman, and they actually lived in Illinois. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And he had another really brief marriage um, from 2007 to 2008. So he had been married two times before he met his wife and was married for the third time. Mark directed a Star Wars fan film and a horror short called House of Cards. He shot House of Cards in a garage that he had rented in South Edmonton. And that will become important later in the story. <laughs> Um, he also wrote a comedy script. None of them were ever released, but I guess the biggest thing he did was the Star Wars fan film. He actually got one of the actors who had been in a Star Wars film mm -hmm. to be in it. Yeah. It was a smaller part. They said it was actually well done. Like, Well, he was a super fan, so, yeah. you know, he was totally into it. He was an up-and-coming director. Yeah, yeah. So... In October of 2006, a new show premiered on Showtime. Let's talk about it. <laughs> it was called Dexter. So according to IMDb, Dexter is a show, um, and this is the description. He's smart, he's lovable, he's Dexter Morgan, America's favorite serial killer, who spends his days solving crimes and nights committing them. So... Obviously, you can tell by the description if you're not familiar. Most people who like true crime, I'm assuming, are probably going to be familiar with Dexter, but maybe not. Dexter is just one of those shows. I mean, he's an anti... He's not a hero, but he's like... It's very good. Right. <laughs> well, according to the description, too, Dexter works as a blood splatter analyst for the Miami Police Department during the day, and he's a serial killer by night. Mm -hmm. Um Dexter believes he's justified in his killing because he only murders other killers and child molesters and things like that. He has a code. Yes. 
Mm-hmm. So he's a killer with a conscience, <laughs> I guess you would say. So, you know, I guess that's why people feel like they can root for him. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, he enjoys murder, but he's only murdering people who would murder other people. The people that got away with something really bad. Right, kind of like a vigilante. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, I love Dexter. I really do. Yeah, I remember you watched it like while it was out. Yeah, the it, original. The original was, yeah, season three, the Trinity Killer with yeah. John Lithgow. If you watch anything, <laughs> you need to watch season three of Dexter. It's yeah. fabulous. It's just really good. No, it was really popular. I remember a lot of people. Well, even the really... revival that just came out this past year was actually really good. Yeah, I did not like the way it ended, but I won't say how it ended just in case you hadn't seen it. But yeah, it's really good. Yeah, I thought that they were going to try to make amends for the original ending. The original ending of the series was the worst ending for any series I've ever seen. Yeah. It was terrible. What they did to Deb, what they, uh, the whole thing, it was just bad. Very, very bad. Yeah. Yeah. Overall, it was a, a great show. Oh, yeah. And it was very yeah. popular. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, it was, a lot of people were into it. Mm-hmm. So, in October of 2008, Mark is 29 years old. He's a married father. He has a young daughter. Um, and he's working in sales and also working on his films on the side. The police who worked the case said the cell, that sales were actually a perfect fit for Mark as a job because he was so smooth and charming. Like, he could convince people to do things. He and just he had, could talk his way out of any kind of situation. Right. He yeah. was just very, he had that kind of charisma that people just believed him. Mm-hmm. Um, so he seemed to be living a pretty normal life, you know, working on his films on the side, working his sales job. He had a wife, he had a kid, so everything was pretty normal. So Mark starts watching Dexter and becomes like totally obsessed with the show. And when I say obsessed, I'm talking like he is super, super obsessed. Okay, so I want to say this, all right, just because you get obsessed with a show. Yeah. Because... I'm a very obsessive person when it comes to, like, movies, TV shows, actors, actresses. I get, like... Well, usually you get super into something, and then it kind of passes, and you move on to the next thing. Yes, but, I mean, there are some things that will always, like... Yeah, Buffy. Buffy, obviously. I just read the Buffy book, by the way, but we'll talk about that later. (laughs) But, um, Scream. I was really big into Dexter, too, and... That was actually, like, one of the first times I went to L.A. to pitch my scripts. Um, Melissa Rosenberg was, you know, she was the head writer on Dexter for a while. And Mm -hmm. so she was one of the speakers there. And I thought that was the greatest thing in the world to, you know, listen to her uh, talk about Dexter. Most people wanted to hear about Twilight. I did not. (laughs) But, um, But so you do become so obsessed with, like, because I know if, for some reason, I could not watch an episode of, like, my favorite shows. It threw me off. Like, like yeah. Because I remember the power being out when Buffy was on one time. And it was, well, and it it was like pretty it, days of, you know, you didn't have... You couldn't stream it. Yeah, you couldn't stream it. You couldn't record it. Like, you can't, you know, you couldn't do it. So, if you missed it, you were out until, like, the DVD set came out. Mm-hmm. And so, I remember being so mad that i could not watch that episode when it came out but i do i you know it that i do become obsessed with stuff like that and 
I see how people become obsessed with stuff like that, but there is something different. <laughs> in, in You're not going out in the cemetery with a wooden stake waiting I mean, for vampires I to walk. To. <laughs> I kind of wanted to, but you know, you do become, you start to think. I mean, I, I'm sounding well, crazy. No, right now. no, I understand. That's why people are obsessed with true crime too. Yes. Because you think, well, if I was in that situation, what would I do? What would I do? Mm-hmm. Would I be able to live? Would I be able to get away? Yeah. Would, yeah. So there, there is a, a factor going into, you know, I do really, really like this. But there's a difference between I really, really like this show or this movie or this actor, actress, whatever, as opposed to I'm going to be. Well, this. That's, well, that was the thing with Mark. He saw himself in Dexter mm-hmm. and, and an outsider who doesn't quite fit in with a penchant for dark things. Mm-hmm. And that's how, you know, he he felt like he and Dexter were one the same. Mm-hmm. So he Mark starts, like, he immerses himself into his new writing, his new script. He's determined to make it as a filmmaker now, more so than ever. Dexter has, like, renewed his creative juices and like he is like all in um his wife is not so supportive of this (laughs) and it's mainly because you know they just had a baby and they need a steady income like he needs to work a full-time job unbeknownst to his wife and her name was jess i didn't really want to go too much into right there you know um unbeknownst to her mark quit his job and he spends his whole day Talking to people online about Dexter. Could you imagine? And writing a script, too. But he spends all day. I mean, this is a grown man, like, with responsibilities. (laughs) I mean, he's married, has kids and everything, and he just secretly quits his job behind his wife's back Mm -hmm. and hangs out with his buddies online every day talking about Dexter. Yeah. I mean, this is where you This is where it skews. This is is where our differences, you know, (laughs) (laughs) we go down different paths right here. Right. So, actually, Mark kept up the charade that he was going to work every day for over a year. Wow. How did he do that, though, with, like, money and stuff like that? Well, one of his friends, who's also in the movie business, gave Mark $30,000 for his newest project. So, the $30,000, and he had also gotten money from other investors, and that's how he was able to keep Jess from knowing that he was not working anymore. So he was scamming everybody, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So he wasn't using the money for projects. He was using it to live because he wasn't doing anything else. Yeah. So he gets this idea that he's going to write a script based on the character of Dexter. So he works on the script in secret. He doesn't tell anybody about it. How original. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really, he's not writing anything original. Well, it's because he's so obsessed with it. You know, this is all I can think about. He can only do fan fiction. He can't do anything that's original original yeah it kind of seems that way yeah um so he rents a garage and begins working on his film this is the house of cards film Mm -hmm. so this is the one i had mentioned earlier the horror short yeah the premise of house of cards is a man meets a woman on the internet and is lured to a location to meet her when the man goes to meet the woman he is attacked and killed by the person who set up the fake account on the dating site huh well that kind of sounds familiar right so after mark finishes filming the short film he immerses himself into the third season of dexter oh so he's done you know he's made this movie about the person you know the man and woman meeting on the internet or the short film i should say and then he goes back to his obsession with dexter 
So the combination of the obsession with Dexter, filming House of Cards, and his own morbid desires, to be honest, are just too much for him. He begins writing a diary called the SK Confessions. And SK stands for serial killer. But it was also an homage to his favorite writer, Stephen King. So he's doing this diary. And in the confessions, the very first, like, entry says, this is the story of my progression into becoming a serial killer. Okay. Yeah. So in the confessions, Mark describes how he fantasizes about killing people who have wronged him. So he starts out. <laughs> so it's. Yeah. Okay. So he starts out as like, well, you know, I don't just murder anyone. You know, it's people who deserve it in his view. You know, people who've wronged him. Not to say that people who've wronged him deserve to die, but in his view, that's yeah, what. Warped yeah. Mind. yeah. So to begin his descent into becoming a murderer, Mark decides that he's going to go after married men who cheat on their wives. Okay. So this is his justification. Again a la Dexter, (laughs) that he's only going to, you know, murder cheating husbands. Um, So he decides that's not a good idea because the wife will immediately miss the husband. So people are going to start questioning it right away. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like you can, like a homeless person may not be... Might not be reported right away. Right. Yeah. So he decides it would be better to go after a single man. And because a single man is not likely going to be missed for, you know... Right, immediately. It might be a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and he isn't going to go after you know people who've done bad things either. He just wants to know what it's like to kill someone. So he's gone from... I mean, this was a pretty quick descent. Right, yeah. I mean, it's like, well, I'm only going to kill cheating husbands. No, they'll be missed. I want to kill single people. And they don't have to be a bad person. <laughs> I just want to kill somebody. So this oh is what gosh. he's... yeah. So he creates a, pre- a fake profile on a dating site, and he calls himself Sheena. When messages start coming in from men interested in Sheena, Mark is very careful in selecting who he wants to meet. He doesn't want to meet somebody who could overpower him, so he looks for, like, smaller guys that he thinks would be easier victims. So, I mean, he's really, you know, tactful with this. So the first person that Mark interacts with is a 36-year-old man named Gillies Tetro. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. Tetro, I think, I don't know. Apologize we'll if go that's with wrong. It. We'll go with it. Okay, so on October 3rd, 2008, and this is a week after he finished filming House of Cards, his horror short, Mark makes plans to meet Gilles. I'm going to say this 20 different ways because I don't know how it's pronounced. It's either Gil, Gil, Gilles. Gilles. I'm not sure. I've heard it every way, so I'm going to say it every different way. Um, to meet Gil, Gilles as Gina. So, Mark gave, I'm going to just call him Gills for this, okay? <laughs> it's, I'm, I did not take French, Tracy. Okay, just go with Gilles. Gilles, okay. So, Mark gave Gilles directions to the garage. When Gilles got there, Mark was waiting with a taser as soon as Gilles walked into the door. He had planned to duct tape Gilles to a table and slowly kill him. The taser doesn't totally incapacitate Gilles, however, and Gilles fights for his life. Like, he, and he somehow makes it out of the garage, even after being tasered and attacked. That's crazy. So they're fighting outside of the garage when a man and a woman walk by. Um, Gilles is asking for help, and Mark is trying to convince the people that they're just playing around. Obviously, this freaks the couple out because they're like, I don't know what's what going on. What did we on. walk up on? Yeah. yeah. And they don't want to get involved. So they would just walk off. But it was enough to spook Mark. 
because mm-hmm. he's like he didn't know that they weren't going to just call the police right. as soon as they got out of sight so he leaves jill lying on the ground gets in his truck and takes off um jill ev- eventually makes it back to his house and after the shock of being attacked wears off he decides he's going to call the police And he gets his computer up to pull Sheena's profile so he can show the police when they come to interview him and everything's been deleted. Oh. So he has no proof that this Sheena even existed. Right, yeah. So all of the conversations he had had with Sheena, everything, it's gone. So he has nothing. Nothing to show the police. Right. Yeah. So he feels that now he has no proof of what happened. He had no proof this person exists, so he doesn't even call the police. Mm -hmm. Because he's like, well... They're not going to believe me. Well, you know, he's probably gonna... a little embarrassed, too. Yeah. Um, you know, falling for that. I right. mean, which it could happen easily, right. obviously. But, yeah. So, that was on October 3rd. So, on October 10th, 2008, Mark selects his next victim. So, we're talking a week later. Um, And we'd already talked about Johnny. Mm-hmm. Johnny was 36 years old and worked in a machine shop. He was a typical single guy. So Mark had his new profile under the name of Jen this time. So for this meeting, Mark decides that he's not going to trust the taser because the taser didn't get the job done with Jill. Um, he decides he's going to hit him, hit this person in the head with a lead pipe instead. He sends Johnny the directions to the garage and waits for him to come. When Johnny gets to the garage about 45 minutes earlier than planned, and it catches Mark off guard. So, Mark immediately attacks Johnny with a lead pipe, hitting him in the head several times, and it killed him. Um, Mark has the garage set up like the killing room in Dexter. So, if you've watched Dexter, you know that he basically puts down a bunch of sheets of plastic. So, you know, no blood gets anywhere. You don't leave any kind of evidence anywhere. And there's usually a metal, like, stainless steel table in the middle. And then he basically, he doesn't use duct tape. He, like uses like what's it called the saran wrap stuff that you use on pallets and stuff like that shrink wrap shrink wrap yeah so he shrink wraps them to the table and everything so they can't get up and then he usually has pictures around like on dexter he would have pictures of if they were a murderer that got away with it it would have pictures of the people they've killed or if it was a rapist the people they've raped stuff like that mm-hmm. and that's what would be his kill room right and he would show them all that before he actually killed them right well, that's the way Mark had his garage set up, except, you know, he didn't have quite so much stuff. He had the he did have the plastic and all that stuff, but um, he didn't have pictures or anything like that. Well, yeah, because this guy didn't do anything. Right. Just a totally innocent person. Yeah. So he then proceeds to dismember Johnny's body. Um, in his SK confessions, Mark talks about how he enjoyed cutting the body up. He said that he whistled while he worked. He also ate food while he was cutting oh up the body. Oh, my gosh. What a sick I mean, how it's disgusting. Like, I don't know. So after he finishes cutting up the body, he loads the body parts into trash bags and puts them in the trunk of his car. And then he dumps the body parts into a sewer. After the murder, Mark breaks into Johnny's apartment and steals his laptop. Johnny was even still logged into the computer, so he didn't even need a password or anything. He was able to just open it and go Mm -hmm. so that's i guess he wanted to get in there and delete any evidence of jen so and so he could send stuff out to his friends that look like it's coming from looks like it's coming from yeah right so he sends an email to johnny's um from several people actually um saying that he had met the woman of his dreams and that they were going to costa rica for a few months 
He sent an email to Johnny's employer saying he quit his job like you had talked about. Um, of course, his friends think it doesn't make any sense. The friends reported to the police, and Dale had sent the police information saying this is where he last went that we know yeah. of. And this yeah. was the garage that Mark had set up. So the police call Mark to come down to the garage and ask if they can take a look inside. When Mark gets to the garage, he claims that the lock had been tampered with. And he tells police that he hadn't been to the garage in weeks and that he only uses it as a space to make his movies. Mm -hmm. So when they go in, the police find a receipt from October 15th that shows that Mark had been to the garage within the last week. So automatically they know he's lying. They know he's lying from the get-go. Right. So they ask him to come down to the station to answer some questions. Um, Mark does really well, and he answers all the questions without raising suspicion, and they let him go. And that goes back to them talking about him being you know, very charismatic and smooth and all that. And you can actually watch mm-hmm. the uh, interrogations. Yes. And he is pretty smooth. If, mm-hmm. if you didn't know at the very beginning, which we all know because that's why we're watching it, but <laughs> yeah, you can you can see how he gets away with things because he does have a way of talking to people. Right. Yeah. I mean, and that does occasionally happen. Mm -hmm. I've watched a lot of interrogation tapes and almost nine times out of 10, you can tell immediately like some there, something's not right. right. Yeah. As much as you try to hide it, Mm -hmm. you can't. There's always a tale. Right. Yeah. There's when you've done something this egregious, Mm -hmm. you cannot Mm-hmm. possibly keep it in but, but this he seemed guy, so unfazed by yeah. anything and he was like he he even stopped and called his wife at one point mm-hmm. he was talking to her and it's just like well, i'm gonna be here a little bit longer you know and all this just stuff totally normal just totally you know so he he didn't have a care in the world and he seemed to be forthcoming with information mm-hmm. and so yeah he, he was very smooth well and most people too even though you don't intentionally do it you like sigh a lot or Mm -hmm. you put your hands in your face like you don't even realize you're like they don't seem to realize that they're doing it Mm -hmm. but a lot of them that you watch i mean they give it away Mm -hmm. but yeah yeah, this guy was he was he was pretty smooth yeah so after they let him go they um call him later and ask him if they can inspect the garage um he said yes but he also tells them new information about buying a red car from a man on the night that Johnny was missing. So here he's starting to like... He's like, okay, they're going to get in the garage. Yeah. So, yeah. I need to come up with something. Some kind of story. So the police find the car at Mark's friend's house. Mm-hmm. So the Johnny's red Mazda that he had ends up at Mark's friend's house. They bring... Because Mark had told the police that he had bought it from somebody... Yeah, for it was a minuscule amount of money too. Yeah. I can. Uh, it was very small. Forty dollars? Was it forty dollars? It was something really. I think he was trying to make it out like this guy was so hooked on drugs or something that he would sell his car for such a small but amount. But he, he told the police though that this guy said that he was getting ready to go on a vacation. Yeah, and he did, yeah. With, and with, he was just trying to get rid. He was of trying it. to get rid That's of it right. and get some money. That's and right. It was like forty dollars. Forty dollars yeah. would barely get you to the airport, let alone on a vacation. Who's going to sell their car for forty dollars? Right. So the police get a search warrant for Mark's car, the red car. Uh, before the police can search it, though, Mark asks if he can get something out of it. So this is kind of the he's starting to break a little bit. They obviously tell him no. You cannot. <laughs> take, you That's not how this works. You can't remove anything from the car. So the car has a ton of evidence. A ton. So there's blood in the trunk, a knife set with uh, caked on dried blood, and his laptop. 
So I'm assuming the laptop's probably what he wanted to get out. I watched a Dateline episode uh, about this case, and uh, one of the detectives, when he was going to search his vehicle, he said, you know what? Right before he opened the trunk, he said, what if this guy's a serial killer? That's crazy. Or an axe murder. So I think he said an axe murder. And then he opens it up, and there's all. Sure enough. <laughs> and he was like, holy crap. He told the guy, he goes, you need to come look at this. But yeah, because, I mean, it lit, this was like the holy grail yeah, of, I mean, like, evidence. Everything that they needed. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, too, this guy had watched Dexter. <laughs> yeah. Dexter did not leave evidence behind, let alone the mountain of evidence that this guy left behind. This is the thing, though, with anybody who commits murder like this, they think they've thought of everything, but there's always something. They're so nar- narcissistic, it's... Right. Yeah. They, they don't think about this, the details of after the fact. Mm-hmm. It's like these people who think they're just going to take a body and bury it. Yeah. It's like, do you know how hard it is to dig a grave? Six feet under. Yeah. Or even like even a few feet. Like, it is not easy. So You that's have why- to go more than a few feet or yeah. if they get found. Well, and not only that, but the terrain. I read a lot. <laughs> the terrain is not what people, like, they'll say. Yeah, you run into rock, yeah. you run into clay. It's not like it shows in, you know, TV shows and movies where they just dig the dirt. And they it dig just and then go a couple of seconds later and it's, you know, yeah, six feet under. it's a huge hole. Yeah, it's not like that. No. So, yeah, but you're right. It's the... Um, it's the ego of They may people. plan the murder, but not the after. Right. Yeah. Or they think they do, but there's always something that they miss. Right. Thank goodness. Yeah, exactly. So the police have the laptop analyzed, and they find a deleted document called the SK Confessions. Mm-hmm. So it's 30 pages, and it gives every detail into the murder of Johnny Altinger without naming him. So basically, he, you know, I guess he wasn't going to say his name, but he does, he tells exactly what happened. So the blood evidence um, from the trunk of Mark's car and the garage both match Johnny's DNA. And October 31st, Halloween, how fitting, enough. Mark is arrested for the murder of Johnny Altinger. The prosecution had a ton of evidence. This was not like going to be a hard case to prove at all. They had statements from Gilles at this point, too, because then he was well, able they to had come found, out. When they did a search warrant at his house, they had found a hockey mask. Which, in his transcript, the killer wore a black hockey mask that had, like, gold stripes going down it. Mm-hmm. And they were beginning to think that maybe Johnny was not an only victim. That mm-hmm. Some people may have seen, you know, this before. So they put it on TV. They send out a bulletin, you know, about this mask, and they show the mask. And that's when Jill's, or Jill, uh, I don't know how to say his name, um, he saw it, and he's like, that's who attacked me. Mm-hmm. So that's how they were able to get his uh, statement. statement and everything, too. Right. So he testifies that he was attacked. Um, so they have everything. They have DNA. They have all this stuff, but they didn't have a body because they didn't know what he had done with the body. Right. So nine months before the trial was supposed to start, Mark gives the police a map showing where Johnny's body was dumped. In March of 2011, the trial started. Mark was the only witness for the defense. He tried to say he killed Johnny in self-defense. Okay. It was not successful. Um, The jury found Mark guilty and sentenced him to life in prison. There was no defense for this because how could there be? Right. 
there was so much evidence. You had another person who was a potential victim testify that he had done the same thing to him. Mm-hmm. He was just able to miraculously survive. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there was no way he was getting out of this. Everyone who knew Johnny knew he was not the type that was going to just attack someone for, yeah. you know, it just didn't make any sense. Yeah. So, yeah, so, but he is guilty and he is spending his life in prison. And it only took them like five hours. It was really quick, yeah. Five hours to determine that he was guilty. Honestly, I'm surprised it took They probably hour. just broke for lunch. They probably did. To be <laughs> They're honest. like, we just got to make it look like we're talking yeah, about this, but he's guilty. We're guilty, right? Yeah, he's guilty. <laughs> but his wife, Mark's wife, divorced him like immediately. Yeah. She said that she did not see him any after the day that they searched their property, mm-hmm. that she was done with him. Right. And so... And she also found out afterwards that he was having an affair with his ex-girlfriend and talking to several women online, which is funny because, you know, in his confessions and stuff like that, he was going to murder cheaters, cheaters, people who cheated on their spouses. And then he changed his mind. He guess he's like, oh, well, I'm doing that. So, you know, but he, he, he just an amazing person, like to think he would get by with any of this stuff. To think he was, I mean, it's a TV show. Right. You know. <laughs> As a filmmaker himself, he mm-hmm. should have realized, hey, this is not this real is not life. Real. Yeah. You know, people don't actually die on these shows. Mm-hmm. Like, these people, I, I just, I think that the separation from reality, like, I don't understand that. And I, I mean, obviously, I don't, but I'm just, you know. It's crazy. Well, we had talked about it before because, you know, we look up a lot of stuff with these cases and everything. And I look up a lot of stuff with writing because I write darker stuff, you know, thrillers, stuff like that. So, you know, when they go and they search these people's computers and stuff like that, you can't go on that alone. Because if somebody were to look at my computer or your computer, they would see, you know, true crime everywhere. They would see... But when you put that together with everything else in his life, it, it was just falling apart. Well, but usually, though, like, we look up, like, details. Yeah. We don't look up, like, disgusting, no, like... No, You know what I'm saying? There's yeah. a difference. Yeah. Like, they want to know... They want to see the pictures of the people thawed up and stuff. Yeah. Like, I don't care. So I, I do not want to see that, no. They want, like, the gory, nasty, like, mm-hmm. details. I'm just interested in it because I think it's a psychological thing. Like, you want to know what makes these people do these things. Yeah. Like, you can't understand it. So, the best you can do is read all about it and think that, you know, you would, if you come across this type of person, you'd be able to recognize it. Exactly. Yeah. And you'll be like, no, something's not right with them. Yeah. Yeah. I've watched too much. I know. You know, and everybody wants to think that in all reality, it's probably not true. Mm -hmm. But, well, you never know. I mean, because me and Paul will be out somewhere, and or if we hear a noise or something, like I'm like, note the time. Mm-hmm. You know, because you do watch all this stuff and you read all this stuff. This could be significant could later. Be, yeah, exactly. So note the time. Hey, what was the license plate on that car? <laughs> or what color was that car? Mm-hmm. Did you notice what shirt that person was wearing? Because you just don't know. If something strikes you as like, something looks a little off. Mm-hmm. So that's how we put it together when we're looking at, you know, if we're looking at something for a case, you know, to do one of our episodes on, or if I'm looking for something for a script or anything like that, 
But when you give that kind of information to somebody whose mind is so warped and, like you said, doesn't know the difference between reality and real life or real life and fiction, then, I mean, it's dangerous. It is. Yeah. But, I mean, you can't keep people away from the Internet. You can't keep people away from movies and TV. And I'm not one of those people blaming well, and here's the thing. If they didn't have the movies and TV, it would be something else. Oh, yeah. Because they're... There's already something in their yes. mind. So yeah. it would be something else that set them off. I mean, because you look at, you know, before the internet, you know... Well, I mean, there were serial killers before movies right. and TV. So. Right. So, I mean, it's it's there. It's already... It's just we see it. Yes. Yeah. And it's how it comes out. But I feel really bad for uh, Johnny. Yeah. Because... Like I said, he he was a nerd, and he, he was a you know a likable nerd, and I married a likable nerd, and they're just they're good people, mm-hmm. and he was not doing anything to hurt anybody, and he was just looking for love, mm-hmm. and like Mark just robbed him of all of it, mm-hmm. and it, it's very very sad, but he had a ton of friends, and you know. You just hate to see that. Well, you know, friends make a huge difference. Like, in this case, his friends were not going to let it go. Right. And that's why it happened so quickly. Mm-hmm. was because his friends were like, no, this is not him. Yeah. This is not right. It's similar to the um, Shannon, Shanann Watts. Oh, yeah. Her na- you know, her friend, who she was like, no. She was like, she would not do this. She had no And that point. was like the next morning. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it, it happens I mean, quick. If you legitimately feel like there's something not right you need to advocate for your friends mm-hmm. and say no you know i know this person yeah and they're not gonna just go to costa rica and quit their job yeah i know this person's not gonna just miss a doctor's appointment when she's so excited about her baby yeah. she's not gonna just not show up and she's not gonna just take off with somebody else right. she just gotten home yeah made no sense so i mean if you really feel like something is off you really need to advocate because you could be the one that makes the difference. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Because you see it happen time and time again. Mm-hmm. To have close friends like that, it's, I mean. You're very fortunate very, if you have fortunate. friends that will go to bat for you like that. Friends that will break in your house if they think something's yeah. wrong. Yeah. It's like, I'm going to find out what's wrong. Because, yeah. yeah. I mean, the police in this case, they really didn't, I mean, at the beginning, you would have thought this guy just took off or, you know, there was no reason to think that any crime had been committed, but. Those friends knew him, and they were like, no, mm-hmm. let's go see what's going on. That's awesome. So be that kind of friend. Yeah. We all we would all be so lucky to have friends like that. Yeah. We really would. But I just thought this one was interesting because of the Dexter connection and mm-hmm. how, like, obsessed he was with it. And yeah. The filmmaker aspect of it, too. Mm-hmm. You know, he was able to pass this weird stuff off in his garage because, you know, he's like, oh, I made, I made a film here. Yeah. So they're looking at all this stuff like, oh, it's just props. Yeah. It's just fake blood. Yeah. It's not real. <laughs> they're not going to test that. That's just fake blood. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, it was interesting, I thought. I love it when people aren't as smart as they think they are. <laughs> well, it's any pretty much anyone who commits a crime like that's not as smart as they think they are because right. you're going to get caught. Yeah. I mean, at some point. That's the moral of the story. Be a good friend and don't kill people because you will get caught. Yeah. And it's bad. Yeah. But that was episode two. 
I think we did season good. Season two. Season two, episode two. We'll be back with season two, episode three. Nineties dropping stuff. Sorry about that. But no, um, we'll try to get back on a better schedule, hopefully, if everybody can stay healthy. Yeah. <laughs> Send us your comments, your thoughts, your case suggestions. Yep. You can look us up on Facebook, Instagram, and the website, onemurderatime.com. Yeah. So... Well, I guess that's episode two in the books. Well, this is Tracy. This is Mandy. Later. Doses.